Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice and our second rest day podcast. We don't have a guest as exciting as Leonard Kemner for you today, but we will be going through in detail what we expect from GC in the last five stages or six stages and the green jersey as well. That's a real competition this year as, as well, which is really fortunate. makes it much more exciting on some of those transitional stages. We'll also be talking about Terreno Adriatico Stage 8, which was a 10K individual time trial that happened just finished before we started recording. And a lot of the World Championships ITT favourites were in that race. So we're talking about whether there's any learnings from that that will apply for the World Championships race, which is apparently World Champs are about 10 days, Benji. So I don't know when we're going to get sleep before then, but it doesn't seem like there's going to be any rest for us soon. What, what did you get up to on your rest day? Actually, I had a pretty good day. I made, well, three videos for my own channel, my personal channel, and I went for a ride today. So it's been a while since I had a time for a proper bike ride. And yeah, it's pretty flat because it's Belgian, but still, I really enjoyed it. That's enough personal stuff from you. We're going to get straight into the GC. The current positions are Roglic first. He's 40 seconds ahead of Tadej Pogacar, the two slow Slovenian riders, one and two. Rigoberto Uran, third on GC, 90 seconds behind Primoz Roglic, 50 seconds behind Pogacar. Miguel Angel Lopez, 11 seconds behind Uran in fourth. Yates, another 30 seconds behind Miguel Angel Lopez, two minutes behind Roglic. Hort is two minutes 13 back, sixth. 10 seconds behind Yates. He obviously lost a fair bit of time in that crosswinds. Lander, 2 minutes 16 back, just 3 seconds behind Port. Mass, another minute behind, 3.15. Quintana salvage, ninth, 5 minutes behind. And Tom Dumoulin is 4 seconds behind Quintana, rounding out 10th. Now, I think the main thing we want to talk about is obviously Primoz Roglic, maybe not the strongest GC rider in this race, but... He's got the strongest team with Yamo Visma. Tati Pagacha just looking like a complete animal at the moment, but doesn't have the team. What do you think, Benji? You were talking to me offline, and we've been, I've been talking with other people offline. If you're Yumbo Visma on this rest day, what is the overall sort of overarching strategy which you would have um, for the next few mountain stages? We've got three mountain stages back to back to back. None of them are crazy, like Giro stage mountain stage i don't think but still three hard mountain stages what what are you saying if you're the yumbo visma ds to get rid of pagacha or are you happy with that 40 second gap unfortunately i think they are happy with that 40 second gap and i think roglic said that in an interview this morning so what i think they will do i'm not sure it matters much because roglic basically said that he uh, is happy with defending this 40 seconds and moving this into la planche de belfield time trial I would not be so certain of that. I uh, think that on Cola Laws, we will see Pogacar attack a lot to try and get that 40 seconds down to a lower margin or even overtake Roglic if remotely possible. But it's going to be hard because you've got a team that will probably ride onto Cola Laws the same way they did on Grand Colombier. I think it's a less steep climb. It is uh, pretty long as well, though. So. In general, it's about it's 20 going k's be... at 7.5%, but not the, not the same ramps and undulating, uh, a little bit undulating, but not, not as rampy uh, as yeah, the, the climb we had yesterday. Yeah, but I think in the last few kilometers, there's also like a ramp of 20%. So it's going to be special either way, and it's going to be kind of good for Roglic as well. We mentioned before that 
it's a very lengthy climb. It's the only stage that goes above altitude, above 2,000 meters. And because of that, it was the opportunity of the Colombians to strike back, but they're pretty much gone. We also have Uran and Lopez in third and fourth, but I'm not exactly seeing them drop Roglic and Bogachar at any point in the coming week. Nonetheless, I um yeah, I'm open to having my expectations subverted. Nonetheless, I am expecting Pogachar to be the uh, offensive rider on these climbs. In regards to what you said about my strategy, if I was Roglic, I played defensively, and unfortunately, that's how I think they will do it because we've seen yesterday on stage 15 that on the last second Roglic did not have anything to respond in that sprint to Pogacar and he was clearly unhappy about losing the stage so I think that he's gonna play it rather defensively towards Pogacar and if he sees a weakness then you can strike but I don't think he's going to uh, be seen attacking Pogacar too early on in this whole to the France victory. Well, here's what I think they should do and should try to do. It is it probably 80% chance it won't work. They should try and put Tom Dumoulin in a break on the Col de la Lua stage because Jumbo Visma's strength is that they have the strongest team by far. Like It's not even close. There's there's literally not a second team because Ineos, apart from Kwiatkowski, Ineos haven't been there this Tour de France, unfortunately. It's a real shame. Like I'm not a... Ineos fanboy by any means, but I wanted to see a real battle of the heavyweights, and that hasn't happened. And it's it definitely made the stage yesterday a lot more boring. Um, like Egan Bernal dropping, that's not actually what we want as fans. I think we we all want to see everyone at peak performance. But with Jumbo Visma being so strong, it, it doesn't really help Roglic. It'd actually be better if they had like Ineos's team last year in 2019 Tour de France, not as strong as. Jumbo Visma's team, but they had two genuine leaders. So when Geraint Thomas attacked up the road, other GC candidates had to respond. Whereas if Tom Dumoulin attacks Pogacar in the last five kilometres of the Col de la Lue stage, oh, does does he really need to chase him back? Will it probably be Miguel Angel Lopez and the other guys who are in fifth, sixth, seventh positions chasing him back? Whereas, yeah, I think they will. I mean, from what I've learned watching the Tour de France over the years, it is that people will ride. They will try and shut down the 10th rider on GC if they're in ninth, like Formula 1. Um, so if I was Jumbo Visma, I would try and get – I'd do something crazy because I don't trust Roglic in the ITT. Not – okay, I'll, I'll come back to that. But, yeah, I would try and put – him in a break with some one of their rules. Maybe Armand Grandol Janssen, use him to try and get him into the break and really force UAE or, yeah, hopefully UAE to chase. Hopefully the other riders like Port and Astana and co will let that happen. I, I doubt they I doubt they will because, yeah, they'll be worried about Dumoulin as well. So, But that's what I would try on the Col de la Lue stage because – that would put a lot of pressure on Pogacar. It would maybe allow Roglic to have someone to springboard to. Tom Dumoulin is looking really, really good, actually, compared to where he was maybe in Dauphiné. Where he, yeah, he's looking really good. He's looking like a genuine GC contender again based on his long, long pull yesterday. But the reason I say Rog- they shouldn't be so comfortable with Roglic just having a small gap is because you know anything can happen in the... 
a stage 20 individual time trial. He could miss a corner. He could have a mechanical, even if he is the strongest rider. So if you have the strongest team and you've been dominating for three weeks straight and you've had opportunities to gain more time and you have the team to put pressure on in these next four stages, then I don't think they should rest on their laurels. Um, and Pogacar is just not someone like you haven't Benji because you call him to win the tour, but generally he's been underestimated and he's even been underestimated by Jumbo Visma uh, during this tour and Primoz Roglic himself. Primoz Roglic didn't chase him on Col de Petersud. Benji, if that was Egan Bernal attacking for the second time on Petersud, do you think Roglic lets him go? Yeah, no, he, he would not let him go. And I did think that everybody kind of underestimated Pogacar, but let's be honest here, he was not up to standards at the Dauphiné, and because of that, people didn't see him as a potential favorite for the Tour de France. The reason I saw him as a potential favorite was mainly because I was looking for riders that were very offensive and could attack even if there is a train that is marching away. And I believe that Pogacar was one of the riders that could do that. I um, also had a bit of a, well... It wasn't like a purely calculated prediction because I was looking for one of the riders that could oppose Roglic and he's the only rider that I have seen do that this year and that is referring to the national championships on both the road race and the time trial. They were both really close. On the road race Roglic beat him but it was pretty much the same way he does it usually in the last kilometer and I was looking for a rider that could hang on on the climbs and potentially lose it in those sprints or something, but Pogacar showed that he grows in a race in the Vuelta last year, and he was better in the third week. I think he had one bad day in the third week last year of La Vuelta, and because he grows in the race, I thought he would grow more and more into the Vuelta, in the Tour de France this year as well, which seems to be the case. Now, I did expect much more of a Bernal and such on the... Uh, on the larger mountain stages like stage 15 and the upcoming 17, but we can't expect too much from Bernal anymore. I think he's already said that his Tour de France is over, which I find a bit meh. Obviously, he lost so much time that he's not going to do GC anymore, but if the week before you keep hammering in the media that you're going to keep on fighting, whether you're first, second, fifth, or like 10 for anything, and then you give up, the first time you drop properly, well, the second time actually, because he also dropped on Puy but on Grand Colombier he dropped again and he just gave up when he was on three minutes. So I feel like he um, is weaker mentally than his competition as well. And yeah, I was a bit surprised to hear him say that his tour is just over already. Because yeah, if you're keeping up the statements that you're going to keep on fighting, you can't just do that, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. And I actually, some people said I or we were too harsh on him yesterday. And, you know, this is the Tour de France. This ain't your a kid's under eight swimming carnival where you hand out participation ribbons at the end. This is a Tour de France. Um, you, you probably are aware that that is the race. But they're getting paid millions of euro, millions. You've got to remember Bernal was the, Bernal, he put this pressure on himself. He picked this team. He said, I want to be the, only the sole leader for this year's tour. And now Grant Thomas went off to Giro. I mean, Thomas might not have been good enough, but hey, he still that still happens. So when you do that, you've got to back it up. And that doesn't mean you have to win. 
you know, it's it's hard to win a tour. But for anyone, even if they are in Ineos, but to even just give away a top 10 opportunity sort of yesterday, I found disappointing as well. I think you can compare and contrast what happened with Quintana. The way Quintana looked terrible too. He looked unwell. I've never seen him so pale, but he just kept fighting and he's ninth on GC. And if Quintana has a really good day on Col de la Loz, I'm sure he can, you know, if he has a special Quintana day, he can get back to sixth or whatever and still keep working. Like that's it's an admirable performance from a guy on a pro continental team. Um, so, yeah, I agree with what you said about Bernard, Benji. I think, yeah, the, you know, Kwiatkowski guy, you know, someone like him working so hard. Well, too, it was just a bit disappointing to see that. Now, I'm sure he'll come back uh, for the welter, etc. But I, I already thought there were a few warning signs with Bernal intra-race, actually, at the Dauphiné. If you remember that stage, too, there was one moment that stuck out in my mind. It was when he attacked quite early off the Jumbo-Visma train and Sepp Kuss just reeled him in nose-breathing with two Ks to go. And Bernal looked back at Kuss and then, like, shook his head. And I was like... Man, he's not he's not confident here, and he seemed like not to be in a great mental place. So, yeah, he said all the right things, I guess, after the race yesterday. But I tend to prefer to look at what's happened on the road, and yeah, it, but anyway, we don't need to harp on that too much. Ho- hopefully, I don't know if he'll go for stage wins or what will happen. He probably hasn't lost enough time on GC at this point to be getting into a really like a, a break where they gain like 10, 12 minutes or something. Um, and that was a problem for Adam Yates yesterday. But yeah, if I was Jumbo Visma, I would keep putting pressure on it, uh, Tane Pogaccia. Even if you're using Sepp Kuss, if he's going to be the sweeper on the wheel of Primoz Roglic, just keep letting Kuss lose the wheel of Roglic. Do that five times a stage over three mountain stages. That's 15 times. Even if you don't gain any extra time on Pogaccia, then he'll still be more tired going into the ITT than he would have been otherwise. But yeah, let's go to the fight for the third position on GC. Now, it might be a bit presumptuous, us thinking that one and two is already settled. Pogaccia could have a bad day. Roglic could have a bad day. But as it stands, it looks like a pretty good fight for third on GC. Who is your pick to come third on GC now, Benji, as it stands? It's a bit of a double-sided sword because I've got two names in that top 10 that I see having the potential of jumping to third in the current positions. And I'm basing this off the performances that they have and the fact that there's a time trial coming up. Now, firstly, we've got Radis that can do a time trial. I'm looking at Ort and Uran here. Lopez is less in that. Yates sometimes very inconsistent in that and not always that good as a Port and an Uran in a time trial. Landa and Mars, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Mars is not terrible, though, but I feel like he's a, a solid gap behind compared to the other two, so I'm not really counting him for that. And then you got Dumoulin. Now, if we have to compare, Dumoulin is on five minutes, so I potentially see him jumping up to fifth, to be honest. That's three minutes. I believe that's possible on Alanda. I believe that's potentially possible on... Uh, Yates might be hard, and Mars as well, so... It's going to be a tough one, but he can at least jump up to eighth, I think, in a time trial. But I feel like he's going to gain time on some of the other top 10 favorites on the uh, Colalo stage because he's going to be one of the last men of Roglic and he doesn't give up the moment he drops. So I think he's going to potentially drop a Quintana once again if Quintana's in the same kind of day that he had on Colombier. 
Grand Colombier. I shouldn't like switch those clams around. They're different. Nonetheless, in regards to the actual fat position, we're on our port and it's looking more like it's going to be port to me because port has gained time on the previous climbing stage, which means that he might do that once again this week. Might not be much, might be 10 seconds, might be 12 seconds, whatever. Port is a better time trialist, in my opinion, than Uranus. The difference is not huge. So I believe that he can take up to like half a minute on Uran in that time trial. And if he gains like 15 seconds in the upcoming mountain stage, then Port will be above Uran if he takes that half a minute. So I'm going to say Port gets third and Uran gets fourth. Yeah, I'm obviously legally obliged to agree with you because I'm in Australia. So, yeah, I am picking Port for that third position. Maybe it's with my heart rather than my head. But he's looked the third strongest climber in the race. He dropped, you saw yesterday, he was looking behind him. He was happy to have the two Slovenians on his wheel. And he was looking to see if he was dropping Miguel Angel Lopez. He did so, and that's, he kept the pressure on. So, And then Uran was another step behind him. He was even further distanced on the climb. Uh, so if it wasn't for that crosswind stage, Port would be, he'd be ahead of Uran, right? And he's going to probably yeah, put at least 20 seconds into him in the time trial, you'd think. Um, and he's just climbing way better than him. Now, maybe the cold at a low stage over altitude could be a different kettle of fish, but I'm not really sure Uran is that level at the moment. I'd kind of expect Quintana to more like somehow dial back the clock and have a really good performance there than otherwise. But something you just mentioned, Benji, about Tom Dumoulin, and I think we disagreed with it. I disagreed with Leonard Kemner about it and uh, how, you know, Tom Dumoulin, they burned him, right, on the Perisuid stage. And we I think we all agreed that it didn't make sense that they burned him in that scenario because Roglic didn't attack. So it made no real sense that he cooked himself. But I never really looked at Dumoulin as a genuine GC threat for this year's Tour de France. I didn't think he was up to form. I'm clearly wrong on that. I think that was wrong. He, he's lost sort of... 50 seconds here, 30 seconds there, and 50 seconds here in situations like Petasud where he's pulled really hard and then dropped like yesterday. Were it not for that, he'd be right up there in fifth or sixth with a time trial coming up in stage 20 that he would destroy these guys in uh, in normal circumstances. So I think I, was, I think I was wrong actually because I wasn't wrong in that I did say that they shouldn't have used him that way on Petasud, but by using him primarily as a super domestique, they've taken away that second leader option that they could have used as a threat against Tadej Pogacar. And if you know if he was two and a half minutes back, they could they don't need to send him into a break. They could use him as an attacker for these next three four stages, and he's definitely grown into the race. So, yeah, do you think Dumoulin is genuine GC contender level Benji, or do you think there's actually a big drop off in level from Landa? to everyone below him. I will leave out for now as the cause that Dumoulin's GC is ruined because he pulled so hard on the Porta Balez that Dumoulin was thinking that he was weak while I'm pretty sure everybody in the group was hurt at that moment. So <laughs> I believe that Wout van Aert killed his own leader by accident in that way. <laughs> like not literally killed, but they killed the possibility of Dumoulin as, as GC leader. Now. The thing about it is that Dumoulin is often seen in the Dutch media as the guy that 
is honest about everything and he's honest when he's not good enough, but he sometimes says that too early. And because of that, he, uh, yeah, he straight up bottled his GC, not by accident, not, not on purpose, of course, but he thought he was not good enough. He said that to his team, which is admirable, to be honest. A lot of riders would not do that. And then you'd have a situation like Quintana and Movistar last year where he did not tell his DS that he was feeling weak and did not help the team that way. So, yeah, I don't want to go back and dial back to Movistar problems, though, but it's a bit of a counterpoint to what Dumoulin is doing. Dumoulin is, well, in my opinion, admirable in the way that he has dealt with feeling not good enough on the climbs and he gave himself up for his team, which is what he is technically paid to do. So on paper, I am admiring that while I do think that he could have been much higher as in he lost 50 seconds on that stage on portable as I think if he didn't lose that, well, he probably would have lost that on that stage because he didn't look good that stage, not unless he worked a lot. So maybe it would have been like 30 seconds, something like that. So let's say he was closer and was on 450 now, on some of the other stages, he's worked a lot and lost probably about 40 seconds, 50 seconds in that. So he would have been on four minutes, worst case scenario, if he was not going for, if he was going for himself. And that brings him into a knife position, which he'd probably be higher if he wasn't working for Oglage, but this is a worst case scenario I'm talking about. So on that note, he would be able to jump over Mars, Landa, or maybe not in the time trial because, well, the difference is two minutes. It's going to be close there, but I still think it's remotely possible. Yates, he would probably pass. Lopez, mm, he would pass, to be honest. So he'd be jumping onto 15 GC. And yeah, he's not there now, which means that it was very much possible that he would be a uh, very important factor in GC if he went for himself. And they could have played that more because now you've got a situation where, as you say, Dumoulin could go up on the road and such, but I don't think they're going to do that. I think Jumbo is pretty clear in the fact that Roglic is their leader and they've got their strategy that has worked so far in defending Roglic's yellow and him not losing time against his competitors, except for like a bonus second or four against Pogacar, which is obviously not great, but it's on paper good because you're still in yellow with 40 seconds ahead and on paper you've got better time trial skills than Pogacar which we should talk about later on by the way but I've got no, the feeling let's do that, that now let's do that now okay now you've got the time trial in the uh, ITT national championships we've got a mountain time trial you've been saying that's a very identical parkour it's a bit different you've got that ITT and see that it's pretty much climbing all over. If I look at the, the profile, it's a shorter time trial. While if you look at the stage 20 time trial to Plonge Belfi, you've got 30 kilometers of, well, flat parts and a few rolly hills in there, but they're not too noticeable. Some sections of 2-3%, a bit of a downhill section of that same gradient. And then towards the end, it's Plonge de Belfi, which is a steep climb towards the end. So Rolich and Pogacar on that climb are going to be relatively equal. Now, the section before that is what's going to define it for me and whether they go for a bike change, which I think they will. You would probably have more knowledge about the bike change mathematics because you seem to be pretty good at knowing when it's 
well, a valuable asset to have the bike change or not. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I think the day before Blanche de Belfi time trial, I'll, I'm going to be making a video advocating for why they need to do a bike change. But just quickly, Benji, if Pogacar is 10, if he's 10 seconds behind Roglic on GC going into that time trial, are you? how are you feeling? Are you, are you, do you think Pogacar will win? It's going to be a really good time trial. <laughs> that's okay. most of what that's I can say. And that's a non-answer, right, but go. I have to stick by my pick, though. I have to stick by Pogacar, even if he ends up losing that time trial. I have to stick by him and support him there because I said he was going to win the Tour de France, and it's the last day he can change it. So if he goes in there with 10 seconds, I've got to hope. Okay, youth classification jersey. Pogacar is 2 minutes and 35 ahead of Mars. Bernal is 7 minutes 45 behind Pogacar. If Tadej Pogacar doesn't crack, we'll have like a bad mechanical crash or whatever. It looks like he's got that wrapped up. Enric Mas had a lovely day on stage 15, but he certainly doesn't have anything on Tadej Pogacar. The other main jersey competition we want to talk about is Sam Bennett leading the points classification, the green jersey ahead of Peter Sagan right now. He's on 269 points. Well, let me do some quick maths. That's 45 points ahead of Peter Sagan. Matteo Trentin is actually snapping at the heels of Sagan. He's on 189, so he's only 30, 35 points behind Peter Sagan. Now, the odds have sort of made it a two-horse race. It's got Bennett at about $1.50, $1.60, so that's a 60% chance of winning, 65% chance of winning the green jersey. With the rest day today and how he looked yesterday on a pretty hard day, like there was... There were three steep climbs on stage 15 and like it was pretty much pinned the entire day and Jumbo Visma had it pinned on those climbs, a bit easier on Cold Labiche. And Bennett made the time cut, not by the skin of his teeth, but not comfortably either, just nicely in time. And he still looked way better than Sagan in the intermediate sprint. I think, I, I don't think Bennett's going to miss a time cut actually. I'd be kind of surprised by that. Um, on stage 16, the intermediate sprint is one that Sagan really needs to go for. There's a category four climb, um, 13 Ks into the stage. And yeah, I expect to see Bora try and light it up on that climb and to drop Bennett again. There's another climb just before the end of that stage on stage 17. Uh, conversely, there's a, uh, there's a little bit of a hill as well, 32 k's into the stage, and there's an intermediate sprint. It's not a categorized climb, though, but, yeah, pretty flat before that intermediate sprint. And then stage 18, another mountain stage, a rolly one, the intermediate sprint. Then it should be okay getting that one, actually. Uh, but that might be more of a dangerous day, actually, uh, for him on the time cut. And then stage 19 into Champagnol, there's... Yeah, an intermediate sprint that's after a few rolly climbs as well. So I think I don't think Bennett's going to miss a time cut. I'd be kind of surprised. They're very generous, but there's these now these intermediate sprints where Bennett is could be dropped on those climbs, and Bora definitely going to try and drop him on those climbs. And we could see a situation. What I think is going to happen is Sagan will be. I think he'll get Bennett on one of those and drop him and take if he's lucky take a full 20 on him and but maybe 15 and i think i think sagan is going to go into paris in green and i think he's going to lose green in paris when he gets dusted off on the champs Elysees by bennett 
But yeah, what do you you think Boros is going to rinse and repeat that strategy, Benji, of smashing up those those climbs and dropping Bennett? Well, they are most likely going to do that, but I think it's going to be a fierce battle till the end. As you said, that intermediate sprint on stage 16 has to be for Sagan or Trenton, because Trenton's been the douchebag towards Sagan taking all his points. <laughs> but he's close. Quite a but few. He's close. Yeah, he's getting closer and closer. You can't deny that. And he's going to get. I think Trenton's going to win the intermediate sprint on stage 16. I think he's going to do it once again. And just be in the breakaway with Sagan and take those points away. He obviously won't take everything away because Sagan will still most likely become second then if they are in the breakaway, which I, I think they will because you've got that fourth cat. They have to do it Bora on this stage. Otherwise, you're pretty much nailing your own coffin there if you're Sagan. If we go towards stage 17, like you said, it's probably going to be an equal battle 18 as well. But 19 is a stage I see real change happening. I am not sure how Bora is going to do it, though. On paper, it is a stage that, well, the last half is hills. And there's a fourth cat in the middle of the stage leading towards an intermediate sprint, slowly but surely. So you are going to see Bora hammer it on that. But they got to make sure Sagan can follow, of course, which is also important. Trenton most likely will be able to follow Sagan. So he might take away points again from Sagan. Trenton won't be coming in the top two, I think, of this green jersey classification, though. But it might become very I don't close. Know. I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I don't see it happening. If, if he's getting in breaks. He's looking good at getting in breaks. If he can sneakily get into one, like he did yesterday, and keep taking these points, what if he gets into two of these breaks, takes full 20, and he's already leapfrogs again, Bennett misses time cut. Sure, that's a lot of dominoes that have to fall into place, but... I don't think it's out of the question that Trenton wins green, and I think that's why he's been chipping away at trying to get these points. I think it's possible he wins green, but certainly it's a competition. I'm I'm so ex- I'm almost more excited about the green jersey competition just because we haven't had a competitive <laughs> one. We haven't had a competitive one for for years, for nearly a decade. So, um, and you know Matthews won it, but it again wasn't there. So, yeah, I'm super excited about that. Let's just. Preview stage 16's profile. We'll obviously do all the other stages uh, in the day before in the podcast, recapping the stage before. Stage 16 from La Tour de Pin to Villa de Lon, another mountain stage straight out of the gate. It starts with two climbs, like almost straight out of the neutral zone, like 5Ks at 4%, and then a categorized climb, Cat 4, 3Ks at 6.5%. Bora going to be putting pressure on Bennett there. As we just said, intermediate sprint before the first cat tour of the day, Col de Port, 8.3Ks at 6.3%. Category 2 then, straight after that descent, Cotteravel, 7.2Ks at 7.1%. And then undulating valley for about 30Ks. And then a categorized climb, again, with bonus seconds on top, but not a mountaintop finish. And a false flat downhill, and then a cat, cat 3 uh, 2.5Ks, 8.5% or, or 6.4%, 2.5Ks at 6.4% into Villard de Lens. Um And it's up to only 1,200 metres. So I'll stay straight up. My pick for the stage is Julien Alphilippe. Um, it just looks perfect for him because the, the climbs aren't too hard. 8Ks, 6%, 7Ks, 7%. And the last one is only 12Ks at 6%. So... I'm picking Alphilippe. I don't care if it's from a break or from a bunch. I don't really, it doesn't matter to me. That's my pick. 
okay, I've got a different pick. And I've got two scenarios here. When we see Bora go for that intermediate sprint, you might see the Koenig giving up because Bennett's going to be off the back. So on paper, they shouldn't be chasing Bora into that intermediate sprint anymore. I don't think Bennett has the ability to remotely come back if they drop him on that fourth cat towards the group with Sagan, which will probably be ahead of the peloton because in the peloton, I don't think everybody will care about... Well, maybe because in the peloton, you'll you'll keep up attacks because this stage is on paper a breakaway stage to me. Now, if you come to that intermediate sprint point where Sagan takes the points or Trenton or whoever, and you've got a gap with the peloton on Bennett, then the Koenig will obviously be in Bennett's group. They're not going to have too many teammates for Alaphilippe there. So let's say he has David Ains left, one rider left. And after that, you've got the Côte de Port. I don't see Richie Port attacking there, but the name's beautiful. Nonetheless, I do expect the breakaway to form there. And at that point, this again will obviously not be in there anymore because there's no points for him in that stage anymore from that point onwards. I expect Mikhail Kwiatkowski to jump in the breakaway because he's not going to have to work oh for Bernal anymore. And I think he's going to win the stage. That's all. I'm, I'm fucking mad that you got you were smart enough to think of that instead of me. That is a, a delicious <laughs> pick. The first, I actually have my bet ma- open on him. <laughs> imagine the first the first stage of the free Kwiatkowski movement when he's actually been unleashed from the Ineos prison for the first time in a decade and Ineos rider's been allowed to go for stage win except for Cavendish sprints back in 2012 if Kwiatkowski won. That is very nice. Hirschi, Hershey's obviously got to be mentioned for this stage. Um, Trentin, uh, final climb's probably nah. a bit too hard, but nah, too hard for Trentin. I just, I am liking his shape though in the last uh, week or so. As a general theme for the next four mount, for the next four stages or three mountain stages, I think Benji, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you also agree that Jumbo Visma are going to be happy that other people take bonus seconds away from them. I think Jumbo Visma are like, okay, we've got this 40-second gap. We don't want to be, if a breakaway goes and takes these bonus seconds, that's fine because they're less bonus seconds that Pogaccia could maybe eke out in a sprint against Roglic. Although they did try and go for the stage win yesterday, I think we think they're going to be a bit more conservative and let that break go in the upcoming stages. Uh, it's probably a good idea, to be honest. But yeah, that's our pick for stage 16. Also, our picks for stage 16. It does look like a breakaway stage, and I don't think Yumbo. I think Yumbo Visma should chill and just let people go, to be honest. Um, but that's enough for Tour de France previewing and recapping. We're going to get on to Terreno Adriatico. Actually, uh, one of the most exciting stages for Terreno that I want to talk about because of its implications for the World Championships it was, it's a 10-kilometer time trial, stage 8 of Terreno, the last stage, and they do it pretty much every year, this exact same uh, individual time trial. It's called the San Benedetto del Tronto uh, ITT 10.1 case. It's an out-and-back. So out-and-backs are good historically for time comparisons if they go from the same spot each time because the wind is negated. If there's a headwind out, then you get tailwind back, etc. So they're pretty good for time comparisons unless one year it's raining, one year it isn't. Um, it's on the coast uh, in San Benedetto del Tronto. The favourites for the stage were Ghana, Dennis, Campanarts, Dowsett maybe, Grant Thomas. Before the stage, obviously Simon Yates was wearing blue, the leaders in the leaders' classification. 
he was he had a good margin on uh, Grant Thomas, and I think we we said yesterday in the pod, it was forty seconds in a ten k TT, it's a big margin. He had sixteen on Micah, but better time trials than Micah, and fifty on Vlasov. So it was really Yates against Thomas was the battle for the first spot, and Masnada and Kelderman actually were fifth and sixth. Kelderman I think had a pretty good TT, but the big winner of the day, Benji, is Filippo Ganna. Um, an unbelievable time trial from him in these short time trials. He's the best in the world at these short time trials on the flat. I don't think that's too controversial. Did you? What did you see from Campanath and Dennis and the other riders? Obviously, Ghana just did a monster. I don't know how many five hundred watt performance, but what did you see from Dennis' performance? And I think Campanath's was actually quite a nice performance. We know when it comes to Campanards that if he is in a time trial, he gets better the longer it is. And we see that in this time trial as well, because at the second check, at the uh, intermediate check of this time trial, there's only one intermediate check in this time trial. Well, you see that Dennis was second at that point and Campanards third. So Campanards was not riding as fast as Dennis. He was not up to his speed yet. It's a bit of a diesel train. That's how I compare Campanards because it gets faster the longer it takes and you see towards the end that he passes Dennis and that's not because Dennis slowed down it's because Campanards just get better over time now if this is a 20 kilometer time trial I think Campanards might have been closer to Ghana because Ghana's best at a short fiery well hardcore watching in a 10 kilometer time trial and we can see that from his numbers an average of 580 watts which is kind of insane I don't think I can do that for uh, even one kilometer, the average 580. That's going to be pretty tough. And a max of 820, 61 kilometer max, but 57.2 average speed. That is honestly insane. And comparing it to the previous times from previous years, it is beating them hands down. Honestly crazy. And it's admirable because for years, I've seen Ghana as a real talent and He's been slowly but surely breaking through and it wasn't really in one moment where he was like, bam, he's there. I feel like this is that moment. I feel he just said, well, I'm to be reckoned with on short time trials. Now, I do want to discuss Dennis with you, but maybe in a second here, because I feel like he is not the best time trialist in the world, even though he's a world champion. And it's hard to come by because... He prepares for one time trial per year, and every other time trial, he's pretty bad if you look at the numbers compared to all the other time trialists that actually win multiple time trials per year. And if you compare that to 2017, 2018, where he won like most of the time trials he did, it is very different where he now focuses solely on the world championships. Now, you can obviously be the best time trialist if you win the world championships, but it annoys me that he focuses on one time trial. And yeah, I feel like if you're world champion, you got to show that in the other time trials as well. And yeah, therefore, I won't necessarily say that he's not the best time trial in, time trial list in the world, but I don't like seeing the best time trial list in the world only do it on one time trial. Nah, see, I disagree because I think he is a victim of Grand Tours no longer having long individual time trials. When a time trial is over 30 minutes, Dennis is the best in the world, and we've seen that at World Champs, and we're going to see in Giro. In Giro, sure, I think Gano probably going to take that really short 
individual time trial that I think they kick off with, although it's, it's got to be a bit of a hill in it as well. Um, but, yeah, I think Dennis, he won individual time trial, a short one actually in Tour de Suisse last year. He's obviously back-to-back world champion, the individual time trial. Um, so, yeah, I just think he's – if there were longer individual time trials, like what was he going to target in Tour de France? This year, it didn't even. It, why would you even take him to the yeah, Tour but, of France? Well, how the thing that annoys me about that argument is that you don't have long time trials anymore. It doesn't exist out of outside of the World Championship. Even this year, the World Championship time trial is thirty-five kilometers only, which is very different from the fifty kilometers of the past. So, can you be considered the best time trialist in the world if you can't even adapt to the profile? Yeah, maybe that's a fair point. And I guess the only thing I am surprised by is. He's not a big guy, like compared to Ganna, obviously, and I think his power to weight is probably better than Campanart's. And it is kind of surprising that, like, why, if he was doing the Planche de Belfie time trial, like, we will get to it later beforehand, but we think Wat van Aert can do a pretty good Planche de Belfie time trial. And Rowan Dennis isn't a very different weight and height to Tom Dumoulin. Correct me, I'm just checking now. Um, Dennis is listed at 72 kilos, 1.82 meters. I guess Tom Dumoulin is a bit lighter and a bit taller. But, yeah, why isn't Dennis good at those sort of rolling time, all the time trials with the climb in them? He should actually be quite good in them. Um, I'm not sure. But I, I still think if you're back-to-back world champ, you are the best time trials in the world. And, yeah, I just think he's... I don't know, he's also had a couple of strange years at Bahrain as well and they didn't have him on a good program. Like, you got to remember, he won that World Championships ITT last year when he literally wasn't on a team. He'd been cut by Bahrain. And whether that was right or wrong or not, he lost that arbitration for the wages, but he's still doing that on his own. I think he was supported by Australian Cycling. Just goes to show, like, I don't know how many other riders could have done that. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what he does in the Ineos setup. He's only 30 years old. And I'm not being biased because he's Australian or whatever. I don't think he likes me too much. So I'm just saying what, what I honestly think. I think let's judge him once he's had a full year or so in Ineos. And you're right, this, this 30K ITT at the World Champs is going to be a really good test between Campanarts, who is really aero, so he does well in the high-speed ones. And Dennis, who's a little bit lighter, or maybe than Ghana, who doesn't mind a few hills. Dennis, like at the Yorkshire uh, course, and Ghana, who's just got the most watts in the world. <laughs> He's crazy. His four K pursuit, his four K time is crazy. So, yeah, I'm I'm really keen for that World Champs ITT. It's just a shame Remco won't be there. Obviously, everyone else would have been competing for second if he was. It's a joke. When it comes to GC, you got Simon Yates that actually kept it up. He kept that jersey and he did that despite Thomas being actually pretty good in his time trial because Thomas ended up fourth in the time trial. It was really confusing in the end because the GC screen that was on the TV basically said that (laughs) Thomas won, that Simon Yates won, that they both were first, that Calderman was twice in the top 10, Thomas as well, he was fourth as well, and then Vlasov was like eighth and 10. So... I had no clue what GC was at that point. <laughs> that was so hilarious to see. But yeah, Thomas, really good time trial. Honestly, if he goes to the Giro and does these time trials, he's going to take a lot of time on 
well, the people that are competing with him. And we saw today that Vlasov's TT is not exactly as good as I thought it was. Did you expect more of Vlasov in time trialing? Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, I didn't expect more, but it was unfortunate. I was still hoping, okay, maybe he's maybe he's still kind of okay, but he wasn't. He wasn't that good. And Graham Thomas came 28 seconds behind Ghana, who set a big course record. He was two seconds behind Dennis, although Dennis, I think, had – he, like, nearly crashed in one of the corners. His bike was – yeah, so – but still, 28 seconds behind Ghana, only, only eight seconds or 10 seconds behind Campanath's. Three guys ahead of him are pure TT specialists and will be competing for World Champs ITT. And Thomas was, yeah, clearly better than every other GC contender. The next best GC contender was Wilco Kelderman, who was another 19, 20 seconds behind uh, Geraint Thomas. And that was a good performance from Kelderman himself. Simon Yates was 22 seconds behind Thomas. So he fended off the the ITT attack from Thomas winning GC overall by 17 seconds. Predictably, Thomas leapfrogged Micah into second, uh, Micah coming third, and Kelderman came fourth, leapfrogging Vlasov and Masnada, who fell down. Woods actually didn't have a great TT either. He lost a spot to James Knox. Brambia and Jack Haig rounded out the 10 on GC. So, Pretty good performance from Simon Yates. He's obviously re-signed with Mitchell and Scott for quite a few years on a fair bit of coin, I heard. Um, obviously won the Vuelta. I feel like the Yates brothers were overrated and now they're underrated. And looking at how Adam is coming to the Tour de France where they're like, oh, no, just some stage wins. And now Simon Yates winning Terreno against a pretty strong field for Terreno. Um, and Thomas is actually looking pretty good. I think he's going to be – he's a favourite for a podium on in Giro and Thomas is looking good. So that's going to be a really fierce battle. Mitchell and Scott also have a low-key good team for the Giro. Haig was looking way better. You know, he, he rounded out the 10th on GC. Lucas Hamilton is an improving rider. Uh, who else have they got? Cameron Meyer, Hepburn, Afini. I'm not sure if all those riders are actually going to the Giro. I know Haig is for sure as probably support for Yates, but – yeah, that's looking really good for Giro. We'll do a proper Giro preview when the time comes. But yeah, do you do you think Simon Yates and Adam Yates will get on the podium in Grand Tours next year? Because I think one of them is a lock to. I don't know which. I'm not sure if it's fair to just pick both of them to and one of them to get on the podium. But I think yeah, probably even both will be contesting for podiums on GC. I think it depends heavily on the uh, on the profiles of the Grand Tours. We don't know anything about it. We know that GC specialists look at the profiles before they decide where to go to. We actually, Rem Kuevenpool said it yesterday evening in an interview that for the Grand Tour he's going to be riding next year, he's going to be focusing solely on the fact whether there are enough time trial kilometers for him to take an advantage there and take those to the mountain stages. So it's clear that GC favorites look at the profiles before they jump into that. In regards to time trials, I think Simon Yates showed today that despite him winning that time trial, I think last year in Paris, he's not overly consistent in them. And against the people like Thomas that are way more consistent in time trials, it's going to be a tough one. And I think the longer the time trial takes, the closer Yates can actually get. I'm not sure about that, actually, because I don't think he's going to lose as much time in the last 30% of a a longer time trial than in the first 
10, well, 30%, which is because we've kind of seen that on the time trials he's done in Grand Tours. So I think his main issue is the fact that he's not as watchy like a gunner in a 10-kilometer time trial. So I think in longer time trials, you won't... He, he will obviously lose more time than just 20 seconds on Thomas on a long time trial, but he's not going to lose another 20 seconds in the last 30 percent of that he's going to lose a bit less towards the end of the time trial because i think that fits him better but do you feel like thomas is better at longer time trials or shorter ones because i recall that shorter time trials were better for him in the past he won prologues in multiple occasions i think yeah i think proportionally he gains more time than the non-time trial specialist uh gc riders and yeah, they're more relying on their endurance in some of the longer time trials, like that Paris Nice time trial that Yates won. That was a thirty-minute twenty-six performance. He averaged over fifty k's an hour, um, and it was twenty-five point five k time trial. It was a very weak time trial field, field though. Like Pollock was second, Kwiatkowski third, Egan Bernal came sixth. So, like it was, yeah, it was a pretty weak time trial field. Um, but yeah, I think Thomas is the clearly the best of those guys of the GC guys in those 10k time trials Tom Dumoulin is he's a better endurance time trials okay but that's it all from Terreno Adriatico and the Tour de France recap trying to keep it under an hour today make sure to give us a review or a rating on iTunes podcast or just let us know on YouTube as well in the comments if you like in the podcast we're really enjoying it so far we're revitalized and refreshed after the rest day Benji's gone to check out a fountain I've not done too much, to be honest, because I don't really rest. Money never sleeps. I'm going to be doing the Giro Rosa podcast separately to this, so make sure you check that out as well. We'd really appreciate your support on that. And, um, yeah, any final words, Benji? I'm looking forward to the final week. It's going to be decisive, and it's going to be uh, fun to talk about it in these podcasts. So I'll see you next time. Ciao.